ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, monster kids of all ages, it is time for episode 529 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, and I am your host, writer, and producer, Derek M. Cook. I'd like to welcome you to the show with a little bit of music like we do every week. This week, we are playing another song from the Canadian surf band Chairman of the Boards. The song is called Danger on the Way. It is on their album Surf in the Apocalypse, which you can find at chairmanoftheboards.bandcamp.com. Check out the entire album. Let them know that you heard about them here on MKR when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. Of course, there will be a link in the show notes if you'd like to go directly there from our website. So this week on the show, we have longtime friend of the show, longtime supporter of, well, a lot of the different podcasts that I do. It's David Heath. He's dropping by to talk about the movie The Astro Zombies, which is another dare I say, seminal film, zombie film from 1968. I can't say that with a straight face. It's the Astro Zombies. You know what, though? It's, it was a fun, t- oh man, you know what? I'm just going to hold my thoughts. You're going to have to hear what I have to say about uh, the Astro Zombies with David here shortly in this episode. That's going to happen, of course, after Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland and Mark Matsky's Beta capsule review mark matsky's beta capsule review i try real hard to try to find like a movie or something to try to play a trailer from after his beta capsule review that has something to do with you know the performers in whatever episode of ultraman he's talking about i wasn't able to find anything this time around so i'm just gonna say this i love the monster design in this particular episode of ultraman Mark will tell you all about it here in a little bit. So before we get to all of that, though, we actually have a little bit of listener feedback. Hello, long time listener, first time sending in feedback. You may know me on the Twitch streams as Mabu's cast on YouTube, and I am a huge fan of German film in general. I just wanted to give a few observations on this great episode. First off, the famous monsters segment with Fritz Lang's obituary was really beautiful and well done. Send my praise to Kenny for that. And regarding the comment that M1931 was Lang's last film he made before he went over to America to escape the Nazis, that last film was actually his next film in 1933, The Testament of Dr. Mabuse, which in my personal opinion, is just as good if not better than M, and has ever so slightly more monster kid elements. Though both are really incredible films. Just wanted to chime in, keep up the good work. Matt of Mabuse cast on YouTube. Matt, thanks for writing in, I really appreciate it. And... Yeah, man, there's just something about German cinema, especially from the 30s, that's just fascinating. Well, you go back to like the 20s as well in the silent era. It's just amazing stuff. They have such a distinct texture and flavor and feel. And M, Metropolis, those movies, they just, oh man, Cabinet of Dr. Collier. There's just something magical about these films that I wish I knew a lot more about. You mentioned the Mabuse films, the Dr. Mabuse films. I believe that some of these are actually in the public domain, so stay tuned because I'm actually thinking that we're going to do a Mabuse Day 
at the Monster Kid Movie Club, which is the movie stream that we do every Saturday where we show movies all day long. I'm going to put together a handful of the Mabuse films. I could probably get Ansel Farage on board, so I just need to reach out to him. Probably should have said something to him before I mention it here on the show. But yeah, why don't we get some of his Mabuse stuff going on? We get some of the other Mabuse films. That'd be just a lot of fun to do. So stay tuned for that. Matt, thank you for writing in. I really appreciate it. And Monsters in the Machine, why don't you let the listeners know how they can write in or even call in if they have any thoughts of their own. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. All right, let's go ahead and get on with the rest of the show. Like I said, we've got Mark Matsky, we've got Kenny, we've got David in the wings. Here we go. Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, Mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print, or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com, and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again, and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Creature with the Atom Brain. A motion picture shot full of thrills based on scientific facts described in leading national magazines. You'll be hypnotized. You'll be terrorized. You'll be paralyzed. See a dead man come from beyond the grave. See Columbia Pictures startling... Creature with the Atom Brain. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Oil SOS is the incendiary 13th episode of Ultraman, featuring a preponderance of pyrotechnics and one of the most unusual kaiju ever designed. Starting in Iran, mysterious oil field fires break out across the Middle East, and tankers in the ocean begin catching fire and exploding. One night in Japan, a drunken dock worker observes a blue light moving quickly underwater, 
After being scolded by an oil truck driver, he watches in terror as a giant monster rises from the water and sets the truck ablaze. The authorities are skeptical of his story. A detective even suggests he blew up the truck with a cigarette before the monster resurfaces and promptly blows up an oil ship, removing all doubt. The oil-hungry creature is Pastar, a bat-faced, fire-breathing menace, which due to the amount of combustible fluid in its stomach is essentially a living bomb. The science patrol moves to intervene, but makes matters worse, launching a missile that starts a cascade of explosions at an oil refinery. With the honor of the SSSP at stake, Hayata knows he must summon Ultraman into the inferno. Oil SOS is a special effects extravaganza distinguished by the detailed refinery miniatures that exist for the express purpose of being blown up, and the inventive and equally unsettling kaiju Pestar. Another two-person suit, this time with two people walking side by side, creating the illusion of incredible size and bulk. Surprisingly, there's almost no fight between Ultraman and Pestar, with the majority of Ultraman's screen time devoted to his display of the ability to extinguish flames with fluid from his hands. The most compelling aspect of the story, however, is the humanity of the Science Patrol, seen not only in their capacity for mistakes, but in their valiant efforts to make things right and their forgiveness and acceptance of each other. And with friends like Akihiko Hirata and well, Ultraman lending a hand, there's not much they can't accomplish together. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Absolute in terror from the Shockmasters. Together in the same double shock show, Frankenstein created woman and the mummy shroud in dripping, dripping color. It could be true, you know. There could actually be a man named Barnabas Collins. And he could actually be a real vampire. House of Dark Shadows. From MGM, see how the vampires do it. Rated GP, all ages, parental guidance. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are looking at the not-so-classic Astro Zombies, which starred a Monster Kid favorite, John Carradine. He is featured a lot in FM, but near the end of the Ackerman era, they published a three-part comprehensive look at Carradine's monster movie career. In part three, found in FM 190 from January of 1983, today's movie was mentioned. Let's hear what Mr. Carradine was doing in that turbulent year of 1968. 
A couple of Mexican horror films followed for Carradine. The first was La Señora Muerte, Mrs. Death, or The Death Woman. Carradine was a mad scientist once again in this Mexican movie which starred Regina Torme as a woman who becomes a fiendish killer following an accident in which her features are disfigured. Pacto Diabolico, otherwise known as Diabolical Pact, or Pact with the Devil, was a variation on the Jekyll and Hyde theme. The non-genre, They Ran for Their Lives, followed these Mexican films. Astro Zombies somehow managed to be made and to escape into theaters in 1968. Another candidate for worst film ever, Carradine was yet another mad doctor, this one named DeMarco, whose creation in this great Z-bomb is an Astro Man, a zombie with a defective brain. Eventually, as the authorities close in on his nefarious activities, Carradine is shot by a colleague, but not before destroying his brainless children. Two non-fantasy films followed in 1968, The Hostage and The Helicopter Spies. Carradine also narrated a compilation of student-made shorts called Genesis that same year. Autopsia de un Fantasma, Autopsy of a Ghost, was another Mexican production of 1968, which found Carradine in devil-like makeup as Satan in a film whose story revolved around the ghost of a suicide who cannot find eternal peace until he wins the love of a woman. Basil Rathbone co-starred. When this article was written, Carradine was still alive and still working. Let's hear the conclusion of this mega article about this thin, threatening thespian. John Carradine is now 76 years old and still going strong. Like Karloff, Lugosi, Rathbone, Cheney Jr., and Laurie before him, he has preferred not to retire but to continue making films as long as it is physically possible. Recently, he again played Broadway, this time as a title character in Frankenstein, a monumental flop which reports indicate was superbly staged and played but which cost too much to continue performances. While some may criticize the many inferior productions Carradine has linked his name with over the years, the same might be said of any of the horror greats, as well as recognized non-horror acting greats such as Marlon Brando and Richard Burton. Carradine, a ham? Perhaps, sometimes, but then sometimes a little ham is needed to make a character meteor or a bad film watchable. That his career is crammed with magnificently memorable portrayals is enough. That he will continue to add to this long list in the years to come with many more is our fond hope. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. You dare to spend a night of terror in the Wax Museum. You can't tell the living from the dead. Are they flesh and blood, or are they wax? Are they alive, or are they dead? Jack the Ripper, Ivan the Terrible, Attila the Hun, Lizzie Borden, Lucretia Borgia, Bluebeard, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Terror in the Wax Museum. Follow this man. He alone walks in eternal youth. He alone knows that eternal youth is the ultimate perversion. Dorian Gray has known many, many women, for he has been 21 for almost half a century. See Helmut Thurger as Dorian Gray, a Commonwealth United presentation in American international release, rated R.
This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky von Helsing. Prepare for total astro-mobilization with David Heath on this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. How you doing, man? As I say on my show, I am well. For the three of you that <laughs> actually listen to Radio Free Oleander, that's my catchphrase. I am well. We have it on t-shirts. Do you really? That's awesome. Yes, we do. <laughs> and come on, don't don't be so hard. I'm sure there's at least like five listeners. We're honestly, we are huge in Poland. You know, I think you've mentioned that before, either when I've been on your show or, or something, but I love that. Yeah. I love it. I, I think that uh, Poland, Denmark, and like the Gaelic highlands of Scotland, I think that they don't speak English very well, and they really do think that this is a a show about a goat farm. Uh, you know, I love that too. I, I was trying to describe your show to somebody, to Scott and Tracy, actually, from Disney Indiana the other day. And and I said, you know, it's it's this radio show that's set in a fictional town. And they immediately started nodding because Disney Indiana is a fictional town. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they, they totally got it. Uh, listeners, check out what David is up to. He and B.B. Spitzer, who's going to be on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. I've already got a recording in the can with him about Robot Monster. That'll be coming out here at some point. May have already come out by now. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, what David and B.B. do is just a lot of fun. I've had the honor of being on their show two, three Four times, times now? Four times. Four wow. times. Three, three with me interviewing you and once with D.B. That's right. Yeah, we've done... All sorts of fun stuff over there. And David's a friend of mine. Uh, you know, I know him personally. We hang out at the Lovecraft Film Festival, and it's starting to look like that might actually happen this year. Fingers and tentacles cross. Tentacles cross. Right? He also was part of the Plan 9 by 9 podcast. You know, David's just a good guy, and I am thrilled to talk about Astro Zombies with him. At least I thought I was, and then I watched the movie. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've seen the movie before. It that was not a first time watch. Uh, and I was really glad to finally sit down and rewatch it and watch the Blu-ray that I've got from Kino Lorber, for, of all people, put out a Blu-ray of this thing. So I was able to sit down to watch it. I hadn't watched it before, so it was fun to, to get into, get my Ted V. Michaels on. Now, for those of you that maybe couldn't handle this movie in its pure, unadulterated form, there is a Rift Tracks version. Which is on the Blu-ray. Oh, okay, excellent. Yeah, the Blu-ray's got the Rift Tracks, it's got two commentary tracks, a couple of trailers, and then the movie itself. Now, I only looked at the movie. I didn't get a chance to explore anything else. Because, really, I mean, I don't know how much uh, <laughs> zombies I can take in one sitting. And, and that, and you really are the hardest working man in podcast. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anyway, Astro Zombies, it's a 1968 film? I believe. I've seen it both listed at 68 and 69. That's really interesting because there were a couple of things that were happening in the horror genre, uh, especially in the lower budget end of things, in 1968. I used to use 1968. It's kind of like my general cutoff here on Monster Kid Radio for movies to talk about because 
That's also when Night of the Living Dead was released. And I felt like that caused a huge paradigm shift in genre filmmaking. You know, it kind of spun things off in a new direction and, and more things were happening and more things could happen because of Night of the Living Dead. But maybe I've been wrong this whole time. Maybe it was Astro Zombies that, came, changed, <laughs> that caused that shift. <laughs> maybe it was. You know, I, I and, and, and I thought about it and I realized that they came out right about the same time. And I was not a very diligent guest and that I didn't look it up. But I kind of had this gut feeling since it's not really what you and I would think of zombies. Right. That maybe it came after Night of the Living Dead and the, the title was just sort of tacked on there to try to maybe get the overflow. You know, I wonder. I'm double checking the exact release dates now. So Astro Zombies actually came out first. Uh, May 19th was its release date. Night of the Living Dead was October 4th. Um, plus, in Night of the Living Dead, they don't actually call them zombies. They're just ghouls or whatever. They don't become called zombies until one scene in Dawn of the Dead. That's true. And, and it does because they, they, they aren't exactly our traditional zombies. You know, we think are Romero zombies. What zombies were before Romero got in the mix with the yeah. voodoo and, and the mysticism and all that. Although there were movies like Creature with the Atom Brain that were basically zombie movies, but it was very science based, which is yeah. kind of sort of what this is trying to be. Um, yes. You know, and, and I think that's okay. I think the monsters, it's okay for them to evolve. You know, whether we like it or not, vampires have evolved over the years. What we think of vampires you know they started sparkling with twilights and you know just the monsters evolve and the zombies did that too and while i prefer the old school these days you know i have to accept that sometimes they aren't really undead maybe they're just really sick and pissed off you know so <laughs> you, know, you know and if this change. was real and somebody did sort of make this you know semi-alive solar-powered servant We'd be calling them zombies. Why not? Maybe not the scientists, but you and I would. Well, you know, and and that's the thing. The filmmakers, you know, let's take it out of the story. The filmmakers themselves have the right to call whatever it is they're making a zombie movie a zombie movie, right? You know, absolutely. They're the ones that are, they're the artists. They're the creators. They can say, what I've created here is what I am calling this. And Ted V. Michaels called this an astro zombie and did it at least three more times. I've not seen any of the sequels. I, I have not seen the sequels either, uh, but I do know that one of them, I think, was a voice performance was the last thing that Tura Satana did before she died. You know, speaking of Tura Satana, that, that's one of the big selling points of this movie for me, because she's just charismatic and sucks you right into anything she's in. I don't know if she was the best actress in the world, to be fair, but she was charismatic and... I wanted to spend more time with her throughout this entire movie. She's the only reason why I go back and watch Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. You know, she's just an amazing presence. Absolutely. In fact, I look at my notes and stuff. Almost all my notes are about her. And I kind of shared this with you, but I kind of got suckered into this movie. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's all my fault. I'm the one who did it. But someone, maybe over like 10 years ago, before I was really into a lot of some of the the 60s movie said, oh, I saw something great. It was sci-fi. David, you'd love it. You know, this astronaut comes back in the spaceship and he's got this disease and virus in it. They have to fight it. It's zombie-like. But either I forgot or they couldn't remember the name of the show. And I'm pretty sure that it was probably Equator Moss or, you know, maybe it was a, maybe, you know, it was the, you know, the third Doctor, Doctor Who episode. 
but I see him. Oh, wait, Astro Zombies. This must have been the show that my friend was talking about. No, no, it's definitely not. <laughs> so, you know, I but I stayed for Tura Satana. Uh-huh. And I, I actually do live on a goat farm. And, and, you know, I do. I love something. If I name a goat and, and I have a goat named Tura Satana. <laughs> And, and she's a troublemaker goat. She she, uh, she snuck out into the buck pens. And so she's my troublemaker goat. So maybe I shouldn't have named her that. <laughs> so I just did some checking here. Uh, the last time I saw Astro Zombies was when I sat down to review it for my previous podcast over a decade ago. <laughs> uh, in fact, if you want to go into the archives, if you're really interested, episode 142 of Mail Order Zombie. Uh, I reviewed the Astro Zombies, and I gave it a rating of two headshots out of five. I apparently wasn't too hot on it at that time. Uh, my opinions changed a little bit. Um, it's changed a little bit for sure. But yeah, I, I knew I'd seen it before. I just can't remember when. It's interesting that I'm able to pinpoint the last time I saw it. And it was for this episode of a podcast that came out in October of 2010. And, and, and I'll probably go into it. And, and believe me, I've not... Uh, diverted from talking about Tura, but do you know who's given credit for writing this? Uh, you know, I was checking. It's a Ted V. Michaels and somebody else is on them. Wayne the Rogers. Yeah. Who is most famous for Trapper John MD. <laughs> he was the TV version of Trapper John on MASH. How did that happen? I, I, I so suppose the, I need to watch the, the commentary tracks to find out, but how did that yeah, happen? And, and you've actually got a head on that because I was just to explore apparently the idea was like back in the, the 1960 back in 1961 apparently it was when they started working on the script wow and, and to some extent you can tell this because to me this is a bunch of scenes looking for a movie it really is you know you said they've been working on it for so long it's like well i don't know if it really shows that but um <laughs> yeah uh it's a lot of scenes a lot of ponderous scenes trying real hard to link together to make a film. And, and a lot of space between. Yeah. And, and I, you know, like a lot of the horror movies at the time where they wanted to pad, mm-hmm. there's these scenes, a lot of scenes of cars driving. <laughs> there are. A lot yes. of random scenes that, that aren't needed. There, there's the one scene with Janine who's being used as bait. And they, they go through this whole bit where they put her in the office. She's supposed to be looking out the window. They're watching from outside and nothing happens. So they bring her out and take her home. That whole scene wasn't needed at all. It added nothing to the mix, but absolutely, you know, and, but the, those car scenes, they were, you know, obviously taken in LA and yeah. I swear that's the area around Glendale, Eagle Rock, Burbank, where my grandmother lived. I swear watching this, that's the path that they, Astro Zombies take was the path to my grandma's. <laughs> it's the same off ramps. Oh man. This, you know, okay. I talk about this a lot on the show. I'm at the point in my life, movie viewing life, whatever. I find something to enjoy in almost everything that I watch. I don't like to feel like I've wasted my time. I try to find something, one or two things to kind of hang my hat on and really dig. And I will a lot of times champion a lot of, the lesser known films, films that are considered by other audiences and people as the quote unquote worst film of all time, whatever. That said, I'm probably going to have some criticisms. About, I am going to have some criticisms about this film, but there's going to be a lot of laughter as well. And yeah. it's because I'm having fun with the movie, not at the movie's expense. I just want to put that out there because there's a lot of ridiculous in this movie. 
but I still found myself enjoying the time I spent with it. Fair enough. Absolutely. Oh, man. You know, I, I want to talk about the movie, but I have a feeling once we really start getting into it in depth a little bit more, we're just going to forget about everything else. So, what do you think? A round of the Classic Five? The Classic Five! And we're, we're going to dedicate this five to Tura Satana, the goat, if not the person. <laughs> I wish I had a card about goats, you know? <laughs> Card number one, what monster movie needed more goats? No, that's, no, that's. <laughs> I have gone on public saying that Satan's cheerleaders needed more goats. And that was actually before I realized there was a goat in that movie. You know what? I'm going to use that as the first answer for the classic five. I love that. <laughs> okay. Satan's cheerleader needed more goats. Awesome. I don't think I've seen that in a very long time either. Oh, wow. Yeah. What's that? Uh, 70. That's a Graydon Clark film, isn't it? I think it is. Yes. I, I have a little bit of a beef with Graydon Clark, actually. Um, I watched his movie Joysticks, and while I had fun with it, the theme song, Totally Awesome Video Games, got stuck in my head yeah. for days. I saw him at a horror convention, just kind of in passing, and he was going slow, I was going slow, so I took an opportunity to say something to him and you know tell him i appreciate what he's done blah 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 blah. but then i told him about getting that song stuck in my head and a few times after that whenever he saw me at that convention he would sing that just so that i could hear it, it was like you totally awesome video <laughs> you know what my beef with him is hmm. not enough goats in his movie <laughs> fair enough all right card number two this is from uh Oh, okay. So I've got a new round of Classic Five cards in production right now. I know I've been saying it for a while, but it is going to happen. And one of the new expansion decks will be for the 70s. Okay. So for the 70s, David, what's your favorite sequel to Planet of the Apes? Okay. You know, all these are sort of personal. Yeah. It's the TV show. Really? And, okay. And, and why? Because it's one of the earliest memories I remember of me and my dad sitting on the couch and watching a TV show. Wow. I didn't expect that at all. Caught up in a strange vortex of energy during a celestial probe, the two astronauts were propelled through the time barrier. They landed 2,000 years after their takeoff on a strange continent that had once been known as Earth. From one of the most successful motion pictures ever made comes an exciting new television series, Planet of the Apes. That's awesome. I'm sure if I watched it again, I would think it was ridiculous. And I know that it didn't even make a season. You know, and I would say the same thing. There's a 70s uh, Planet of the Apes cartoon. That yeah. I remember watching on a black and white TV set with my sister. Wow. Yeah, there were 14 episodes that ran uh, during the fall or winter of 74. And I know a few of them got combined as like a, I, almost like a movie and then released on video. Yeah, they did that a, a lot on the LA market too for like weekend movie shows. Uh, I've not seen it. Uh, it's one of those things that Scott and I always talked about doing because he was the guy who guided me through. Planet of the Apes, but I just never got around to it. But now that I'm looking it up, I'm really excited to find out that back in 2015, there was a soundtrack album released mm. of over, looks like over two hours of music from the TV show, which 
you know, that's got my interest, whether I've seen the series or not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. The TV show. Yeah, one of these days I'll cover it with Scott at some point. All right. Card number three. Let's see, I've already done those recently. Let's get something new. Uh, which one of the classic Universal monster movies could use just one more sequel? Uh, I'm going to say Creature of the Black Lagoon. One more creature film? I'm always going to say. I always say there's no winners for the classic five, but anytime you mention creature, you win. Uh, so I, I should come up with an, a, a singer or something to play every time somebody mentions creature. <laughs> uh, what would you do with it? I mean, he goes back to the ocean. And in a way, I guess we kind of got that with, you know, the shape of water. But if I did it, it would be like aliens. Oh. But it would be, you know, it would be the Marine unit, but they would be like maybe not more like a generation kill Marines, you know, and they're out. They've got the, the little swamp platoon boats with machine guns and they've got all this technology and, you know, but they don't know the they don't know the swamp. They can't breathe in the water. The creature would take them out one by one. I like it. All right. Well, card number four, favorite version of the Phantom of the Opera. So I'm going to say. The musical, because I remember in college, a bunch of my friends, you know, we saved up and we went and we saw it, you know, in the Pantages, you know, and we we brought our, we had the cheap seats, we brought the binoculars, but but I would say the the Andrew Lloyd Webber play. uh, play. Wow. I've seen that. I guess the Joel Schumacher film is pretty much an approximation of that as well. But I I did see the actual musical production uh, performed on a New Year's Eve many, many Mm. moons ago. It's an impressive production. It really is. Yeah, and I think this was like the Broadway or one of the the big New York ones going through California at the time. But, you know, it was incredible. The production level was incredible. Yeah, yeah, it really is pretty impressive. Did they have the chandelier come swinging down? So, you know, I could tell you the name of the two people sat next to me. And I remember that much more. (laughs) It had to have had the chandelier. It had to have had the chandelier. But, you know, Andy was on my left. And and John was on the right, and then Nathan was next to him. But you know, I remember that. But <laughs> uh, you know, I remember this this feeling and talking about. So a lot of my answers are are, are very personal, very emotional. But I, it, it could not have not had the chandelier. That's the thing, though, about some of these things. I think about a lot of these movies and these experiences that I've had with monster stuff, and part of the reason why they mean so much are some personal connections, right? I I can tell you who I was with when I saw certain movies or what was going on in my life when I saw this or that or whatever. So that, that makes perfect sense, man. It's, it's like a, a form of nostalgia, but better than that, more than that. So I totally get it. Yeah. Totally get it. Yeah. Oh, geez. Okay. This was not planned. Final card. <laughs> Favorite John Carradine film. <laughs> Let's say Astro Zombies, because the terrible thing, I can't think of any right now. I was, <laughs> uh, I'm so like locked into this movie. But, you know, in a way, this is a sort of a, sort of a, it's a low budget movie. Oh, you think? But, yeah, you know, he, <laughs> he chews the scenery. It may be cheap plywood scenery, but he chews it. Oh, yeah. He probably got a lot of splinters. <laughs> Well, that was the Classic Five, which is a game that we play on every episode of Monster Kid Radio. You can get your own deck of the Classic Five and the various expansions at tinyurl.com slash, I think it's Classic Five Cards. Yeah, I'll double check. Okay. But yeah, you can get your own online right now and stay tuned because there's more in the works. It's Classic Five, just tinyurl.com slash Classic Five, and five is spelled out. The Classic Five! 
Beware the Astro Zombies. They mutilate, they torture, they kill. Spine-tingling horror, unspeakable shock, and breathless excitement will grip you as you watch living organs ripped from the bodies of voluptuous females as beating hearts and throbbing brains are transplanted to create the Astro Zombies. Cringe in terror, scream in fright as these skull-faced monsters strike blindly at living flesh and the motion picture screen flows in the blood-drenched wake of the Astro Zombies. The beautiful, voluptuous, deadly, vicious Satana, a woman who would stop at nothing to gain control over the Astro Zombies, whose creed was kill, kill, kill. John Carradine as the deranged scientist, Wendell Corey as the doctor who opposes him, match wits in this bloody, sadistic, terror-filled, suspense-laden horror film of brutal mutilations and senseless killings as the Astro Zombies go berserk and threaten the city with death. Watch it and you die a thousand deaths. The Astro Zombies in color, coming soon to your local theater. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the movie, The Astro Zombies. Like I said, it came out in 1968. It's a Ted V. Michaels production. Ted V. Michaels is a guy who's got the best He's mustache. A guy. He's a guy. <laughs> He's got the best mustache ever. Yes. That dude's mustache, man, I'm telling you. Second, maybe only to Salvador Dali. Yeah, yeah. So this movie... You know, he's made a few films before this, including The Black Klansman and Girl in the Gold Boots. He would go on to do other movies like The Corpse Grinders, Blood Orgy, The She-Devils, things like that, and The Doll Squad, which I just watched for the first time earlier this year. Unfortunately, the version I watched was pretty chopped up. I'd like to see it. Which, which also had Tura Santana yep. on it. Now, he and Tura, I know that Ted... I'm calling him Ted like I know him. I know that Michael's had... A lot of women around. <laughs> and he lived in basically a little mini castle at one point and had a lot of women living there. But I don't know what his relationship with Turo was. Did they have a romantic relationship? I don't know. Do you? I've never come across it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's ever been really said. But you, you know who did ask her to marry him? Hmm. Elvis. Seriously? That's what she claims. <laughs> and she said no. Well... Huh. So you said your real draw to this is her, Jura Satana. Yes. Let, let's talk about her. Like I said, she's charismatic. She's stunning. And, you know, I've always kind of had a thing for, you know, the goth-like kind of girls. You know, I get that. Yeah, but yeah, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. And she really kind of, you know, hits that for me. But she's also, like I said, she's stunning. She's charismatic. And I can't help but watch her, even if she's saying the most absurd, ridiculous things. Yes. She has these very exotic looks because her her dad is Japanese with Filipino descent. Mm -hmm. Her mom is Cheyenne Native American and Scottish Welsh. So she has this incredibly stunning statuesque figure. She definitely has a very striking look. Very unique. There's a documentary that's been in post-production for a while that I can't wait to get my hands on. And... and yeah, that'll probably fill in a lot of blanks for me. But in the meantime, I have to rely on people like you to tell me more about her. So I have some Tora Santana stories to tell. Okay. She was born in Japan. Okay. Her dad was in America basically doing silent movies. Her mom was a circus performer. They went back to Japan and she was born in Hokkaido in 1938. And then they came back to America. Now, she actually was in the internment. She and her oh, father wow. and her brother were sent to Manzanar. Her mom 
could not be with them, especially there was, I guess, some concern about interning a Native American. Okay. Her father had bought an orchard. Uh, I'm not sure what they grew. I'm going to guess in that area, probably lemons, maybe oranges, maybe avocados that the government basically bought 10 cents on the dollar sure. uh, when they sent, when they sent them. Uh, and eventually they, she moved from there to Chicago. So Tora Santana is her actual name. It's actually her married name. Her uh, maiden name was Yamaguchi and she was just such a wild child. Her parents got this idea well, at 14, well, let's marry her off to a 17-year-old, and uh, that'll calm her down. It did not work. And oh, he did wow. not stay long in the relationship. <laughs> okay, then. So a couple of pretty famous stories. Uh, one is that she was attacked when they were in Mississippi when she was 15. Mm. And the people who attacked her basically got off. The story is, and again, this is her version that the judge got paid off. So she basically spent the next years studying martial arts and she really grew up, grew out when she was 18, 19. And so her version of the story is that she tracked each of the guys down, got them alone. Like she was going to date them and then beat the crap out of them. Um, after seeing her in faster pussycat kill, kill, I believe that another story that's sort of terrible, but it's really got a really good sort of ending. When she was in her 40s, she is shot by an ex-lover. Oh. And she she almost bleeds out. By the time the ambulance and the cops get there, she almost bleeds out. And she says, that's it. I'm not going to let what happened to me happen to any other person, especially another woman. And she became a 911 operator. She became an L.A. County Sheriff 911 operator from her 40s till she, you know, and sometime in her 60s, she retired and, uh, you know, first of all, all 911 operators are heroes. That's a hard, difficult job. It is. But, you know, she got several citations and she said, I'm not going to let another person, you know, die because they're waiting for uh, an ambulance. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty impressive. Good for her. And absolutely. Yeah, she's just a, an amazing person. She doesn't have that many credits, actually. Uh, she kind of left sort of the Hollywood. She was in Doll Squad. I mean, of course, Faster, Pussycat, Kill, Kill, mm -hmm. which AMC is now going to redo as a TV series. I've heard that. Yeah, Norman Reedus, who's on uh, The Walking Dead. Oh, no, really? He, he's going to executive produce. Oh, okay. I was like, they're going to put him in. Oh, okay. So I have some ideas. Who, who do you think would play the uh, Tura's role? You know, we talked a little bit about this uh, via Facebook Messenger before we started recording, and I'm still pretty, oh, man, if we were doing it today, modern day, what actress I would put in there? Oh, boy. I have no idea. I'm drawing a blank. I have the advantage. I thought about this. Sure. But yeah, I would go either Maggie Q, an action star who um, probably most famous for uh, the reboot of Nikita, or Sasha Banks, whose real name is uh, Mercedes Bernardo. She was Bo-Katan's sidekick in The Mandalorian. Yeah, I remember she's you a wrestler. That. And, that... and she's also Snoop Dogg's cousin. 
Yeah, she's related to Snoop Dogg. Uh, she is one of a you know the the better known or, or better booked women's wrestlers at the WWE right now. And branching out into acting, I was really impressed with her in The Mandalorian. She didn't have a lot to do, but what she did, she held the screen and she held her own. And I could see that kind of smoldering kind of presence. Absolutely. You're right, that presence. Yeah. Wow. I like it. I like it. <laughs> call us, Norman. We'll make it happen. <laughs> or call us Sasha Banks. You know, I just want to talk to you. But yeah, call us Sasha Banks. <laughs> Oh man, that's so awesome. That, that that's my tourist stories. Well, the movie itself, uh, and and you said it earlier. It's like a bunch of scenes looking for a film. I don't normally do this, but every once in a while, I'll spend some time on YouTube looking up other reviews and commentaries or or whatever about the films. And I stumbled across a review. I can't remember which one it was, but the guy was talking about this film and that basically everything that happens in this film is completely by accident. <laughs> you know, the killer shows up, but he doesn't have a weapon. So he just uses the victim's shoe, you know, just all this random stuff happens and they're just barely connected. And he's kind of right. Um, I almost wonder if this film could have been two different stories altogether. It does have that feeling. Yes. That, you know, it, it was sort of two stories fused together Yeah, or maybe more. Which, you know, can work. One of my favorite movies when it came out was From Dusk Till Dawn, which is basically two different types of stories meshed together. You know, that that can work. You know, I get that. This time, it was a little bit of a stretch. (laughs) And it's not quite sure what it wants to be. Is it a horror movie? Is it a science fiction movie? Or is it a thriller? Or is it, you know, basically a, a love story with, you know, exotic zombies in the background? I think I wanted more of the uh, international espionage because it means we'd have more Teresa Tana. No, absolutely. And she's great as, you know, the, the sort of the boss. But you, yeah. you notice something. So you have Teresa Tana, which mm-hmm. is the, the leader bad guy. And, and her name is Satana. How original. But, you know, it works. Then you got Juan, who's kind of a, a henchman uh, who's Hispanic. And then they got this vaguely older sort of eastern european guy mm-hmm. so so you have you know asian china you have cuban south america and, and you have russian eastern european so you ha- you have the three main forces against the united states in the late 60s cold war coming together and they don't spill that out maybe it was an accident we just grabbed three actors and you know Four, you know, 40 years later, somebody puts it together. But but yeah, they're kind of the, you never know who they are, but there's some sort of evil reds out there. I did like that. I did like that a lot that, you know, they just randomly had these different <laughs> uh, nations represented completely. And I don't know if it was by, who knows? The movie was shot in six days. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, oh, and one, one other, I did think one other terror fact. Okay. In the movie, she's got this beautiful pink dress and this beautiful green dress and all these fancy clothes. Mm-hmm. That was all her clothes. She brought her clothes to the set, so they didn't pick it out for her. That was her outfits. Yeah. Which I understand, too, is her faster kiss, pussycat kill kill outfit was her clothes. Interesting. Um, where am I? I just lost my... Okay. That This movie does that to you. It really does. You're just kind of like... Uh... <laughs> We got to talk about the carotene in the room. 
got to talk about Carradine. John Carradine, notorious for never turning down a job if it paid. So he didn't even have to pay well. He just, you know, he liked to work and he liked to yeah. put all the money he got into his various theater productions. And John Carradine is just a delight to watch, even when he is given the most nonsensical dialogue. Do you have any idea what he was talking about through any of this? I know he's a mad scientist. Some of it's supposed to be over our head. But really, I feel like somebody just opened up a technical manual for something and started just picking out keywords and put them in John Carradine's mouth. I think you're right. It, it really doesn't make any sense. And the equipment that he's using, it's a low-budget film. So it's a lot of like photography equipment and things like that with some beeps and boop sound effects put in the background. Yeah, he's like taking apart maybe like an old computer with a heart. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he's just putting it back in. I know the scene's going to be either his lab, his evil lab, or the good guy's you know lab. Because the good guy's lab is all white and pristine, and his is all dark and dirty and dingy. Yeah. So you know you know who you're going to see, like, the first second, whose lab you're at. Exactly. I mean, they had uh, – the walls were all, like, stonework. Like they were dungeons, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it was probably someone's basement. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> so so um, the elephant in the room or, or the tied-up bikini-clad girl in the room – but half the movie, there's this girl tied up in a bikini, and she's probably still there. <laughs> she's probably still there. I don't know when the cops from the army came, if they left her. But, it's, I mean, you get the idea that she's supposed to be there for an experiment. Uh-huh. But they never explain it. I don't know if they even take her blood or they – yeah, they just have her there. It's like, it came with the house. It <laughs> And here we have a lovely underground lab comes complete with a woman that we can strap in. Nope. Yeah. And a hunchback, I guess. Uh, yeah. Who. Oh, man. Um, this guy. I like Igor. I like Fritz. I like my, you know, kind of deformed or whatever assistance in these low budget monster movies. You know, I like Lon Chaney Jr. in Dracula versus Frankenstein. This guy I didn't like. I don't want anything to do with him. So I think, as opposed to being closer to Igor or Fritz, I think he's closer to Torgo. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, except I like Torgo. <laughs> yeah. Uncharismatic, uncharming, yeah. and suave Torgo. <laughs> yeah, this guy. Um, and, and towards the end of the film, too, Carradine's character is kind of on him about leaving the girl alone. There's no time for your experiments. We've got to do this. Are we to believe that he's doing something to the girl with the girl, that he's some sort of scientist as well? I don't know. It's a science project for our junior college. <laughs> for his correspondence course. Is that yeah. <laughs> in mad science? I'd take that class. I don't know if the lab fees would be worth it, but I'd try to take that class. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I didn't like this guy. And I did like the knife fight at the end between him and Juan. And Juan is a creep. He just has that kind of slimy feel to him. So props to the actor, Rafael Campos, who I know nothing about. But Juan's this guy that, even though he's got a gun and he could shoot the guy holding the knife that he's about to fight, nah, he puts the gun away and draws his own knife because he likes to fight with his knife. And you can tell he's having fun with the role. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think anybody in here really seems bored. I think Carradine seems kind of robotic, but I don't think he seems bored. Uh, and, and this guy, Campos, he's really having a good time with it. You can tell he's just hamming it up. Yeah. I liked him a lot. I think the people that are a little bit more bland were the uh, CIA. 
operatives. Yeah. Here I am. I'm watching this movie about solar-powered zombies. And all of a sudden, they talk about the CIA, you know, in, in, in Los Angeles. And I'm screaming at the TV. It's against the CIA charter to operate in the United States. And then all of a sudden, I realized <laughs> just what I did of all these things, solar-powered zombies, you know, girls being left on the, you know, <laughs> the lab. I'm upset because it has the CIA operating in the United States. <laughs> That's the one thing you, you were upset about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I suppose they could have changed that to the FBI, right? But then yeah. FBI is not really the international so I don't know. Yeah. And, and, you know, so there's solar, these little round solar panels on the zombie's head. Yeah. And there's a scene that where one gets wounded, so it has to grab a flashlight and charge itself. <laughs> Up until that scene, I thought they were eyes. I thought they had, like, extra eyes. Really? Yeah. Um, I just remember thinking, what a ridiculous image. <laughs> the monster is walking around, powering himself by placing a, for a flashlight against his forehead, like some sort of weird electrical unicorn horn, trying to wander his way around. It just looked ridiculous. But you know what? At that point in the movie, it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. I, 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 was, I had buy-in. And, and speaking of the monsters... I have seen clips of some of the other Astro Zombies movies. I haven't watched them all sat down or whatever. And I know three and four were shot on video. I don't know about the second one or not. And they use those masks and you can tell they're masks. At least in this one, it's shot on film. And yeah, you can kind of see the split up the back where they kind of open up and you can put your head in. Yeah. And yeah, there's one shot where an Astro Zombie leans forward and you can kind of see through the eye holes and, you know, to the other side. So, you know, it is a mask for sure. Yeah. I still didn't mind. I actually kind of like the idea of the design. Uh, and, and I would love an action figure of it. Oh, yeah. The Sign me up. Yeah. So I did think of one other astro zombies out of context situation yeah yeah so we all know that the misfits which is a, a punk band out of california yeah you know they love these movies and they did a song called astro zombies uh-huh and the first time i heard it and i heard it after this in fact i started listening to it when i was getting ready for this show yeah and at first I thought, well, they're mixing things, um, you know, because there's a line to exterminate and your prime directive is to exterminate. And well, are you mixing, you know, Doctor Who and Star Trek? But then I <laughs> sat down with the lyrics and it's basically the point of view of John Carradine's character. Interesting. Now, uh, now for those who, um, you know, uh, have younger kids, uh, you can get the songs, you know, on YouTube. It is, you know late 20th century punk there are there are there are swear words for you know those are you're gonna listen to it or you can let your kids listen to it so there are there are some some swear words in the songs okay if you like grunge punk yeah it's not a bad song <laughs> awesome i don't know if i my misfits and my like my, my exposure to that is fairly limited i don't know as much about and have not listened to as much as i probably should Considering I'm a huge monster kid, you know, and horror movie fan, you'd think I'd be into that stuff, but I just don't have that experience. So that's yeah. interesting to know. And in fact, there's a, another punk band that I've not really one of a big fan, but they were pretty big when I lived in California, uh, Pennywise. I, I know who they are. Yeah. So they're sort of kind of like, they're big in California. They're supposed to be kind of like the Misfits meet Social Distortion. 
Uh, but okay. they remade they remade Astro Zombies. Oh, they did a cover of the song. Yeah, they did a cover of the song. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, as far as like the influences thing it's had, I know that Ted V. Michaels has this kind of punk aesthetic. Sometimes it's very DIY, kind of just do it yourself and yeah. throw these things together. And I just my punk music background is so limited. Back when I would have been listening to that kind of thing and have it influence me, I was listening to rap. So, you know. It's never too late. I was 40 when I went to my first punk concert. First time I was ever in a a mosh pit, I was 42. I tell you, that just sounds like a lot of work at this point. (laughs) (laughs) That just sounds like a lot of work. Um, There's somebody else I wanted to talk about in this film, and that is the actress Joan Patrick. Unfortunately, this is her final film. I don't know why. I would like to know why. Because I found her... Well, she's gorgeous, okay? I'll just say that. (laughs) This is me talking as a dude. So so she's the girlfriend nurse? Yeah, who was the former Miss Canada. Okay. Uh, Miss Canada of 1957. I just was really drawn to her. And I know she did some TV and stuff in the 60s. I'm not sure why this is the final film for her. I, I would like to know why. Um, and I think she's still with us. So, uh, Miss Patrick, if you're listening, give me a call. <laughs> I did like and, her. And, and, you know, we're probably reading too much into this. But, yeah, you sort of have the good girl next door, you know, versus, you know, Satana, the bad girl, femme fatale. And that's probably right. more thought than the producer put into it, but it, it's an interesting. Yeah. The relationship she has with her boyfriend who works for the CIA. Okay. Who thinks that taking her to a avant-garde strip club is a good day di- with his friend is, is a good <laughs> move. I know that we see this in some other movies too, right? We see this like with Al Adamson does this in a lot of his movies as well, where let's go out on a date. Well, let's, let's go to the strip club. Let's go watch the women dance. You see it in, um, it's a house of wax. Even they do it. I think they do it in the house of wax too. It's just, it's a bizarre whatever, but it's so bad because the waitress bends over right in front of everybody and the boyfriend and his friends like checking her out and Joan's sitting there or Janine is the character sitting there. <clears throat> you like studying anatomy? It's like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I'm assuming that that girl in that scene was naked, but she's got like three inches of paint all over her yeah. body. So if she was, you can't tell. Yeah, she was uh, body painted for sure. And I think she was, at least from the top up, she was nude. So, I don't know, man. This movie, it's it's one that I had fun watching. But I don't know why, because technically I don't think it's a very well-made film. There's a lot of things here that I really like, the potential of and Maybe that's it. The potentiality of the Astro Zombies is what thrills me the most. Yes, and besides Tura, there's almost this naivety to it. Yeah. It's almost that, 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 you know, it's okay. The military industrial complex is going to come and rescue us. And that all the foreigners that are trying to take over our country, well, you know, that's okay. And, you know, if your girlfriend caught you looking at another woman, she knows that you love her. So it's okay. And bad guys will all get their, their just resorts. There's almost this sort of, Ah, shucks, naivety to the movie. And that's not the right term. And, you know, maybe we need to invent a new word for it. But, yeah, it's, it's almost like 
it's earnest. It's almost too earnest. <laughs> I love the shootout at the end when they just grab whatever law enforcement people happen to be around. So we've got army, we've got the police, we've got some dude with a shotgun for some reason. Um, <laughs> who, who seems to be completely different background than everyone else. He's yeah, like in I a almost, desert and everyone else is like in a, you know, in, uh, Beverly Hills or something. It almost felt like it was stock footage, except yeah. the film quality seemed about the same, at least on the Blu-ray. There wasn't anything to delineate this film stock, I suppose, or film look from anything else. I don't know if that was a result of any restoration they did on the Blu-ray, because it does look really good. But it really felt like stock footage was just dropped in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I know this wasn't intentional. I'm assuming this wasn't intentional. When you say the name DeMarco, which is Carradine's name, Dr. DeMarco, I immediately go to, this is how my brain works. I'm going to let listeners know how my brain works here. DeMarco makes me think of Paul DeMarco, who was part of Ed Wood's troupe, and that immediately puts a whole different you know, cast on this film for me, uh, cast a whole different shadow on this film, because then I start thinking about Ed Wood. And I do a little bit more digging, and some people have said that this is the worst film of all time. Not Plan 9, but this one. I, I disagree in both cases, of course. Yeah, I agree, but you know, Maybe when Wayne Rogers and Russ were out writing this, maybe, maybe they watched all the Ed Wood movies. You know, I'd be surprised if Michaels had not heard of Ed Wood. Yeah. I can't imagine that you make these kinds of movies and not be aware of him. I suspect you are correct. You know, I'm trying to think of something nice to say about the score, but I don't remember any of it. Uh, and I know I'm the film score guy, but I just I can't think of anything. Well, it's got there's like parts that just sounds like a siren. Yeah. And then there's parts where it just stops. Uh, the band quit. They're still acting, but the music stops. I, I, I don't want to give this movie you know, short shrift here. I want to make sure we give this movie its due. But what else is there to say about Astro Zombies at this point? I'm going to suggest if anybody is going to to watch it because of this, go ahead and watch the, the Rift Tracks version. Really? Yeah, I'm going to say that. They, I don't think that's not one of the ones where it takes away from anything from the the series because there's such big time gaps between the the <laughs> action a and action b so yeah i'm i'm going to suggest and, and you can disagree with me but i, I would suggest if, if you're going to watch this movie because of this do yourself a favor and watch the rift tracks version if you're going to do that and i'll go back and i'll rewatch it at some point but if you're going to do that i would still recommend at some point afterwards you go back and watch it straight just because i like to give movies their due you know yeah and you know, it's John Carradine. And, and I know the movie was shot in six days. I have the sneaking suspicion they had Carradine for like one. <laughs> Probably. Because <laughs> he never leaves that set. That's true, yeah. He never leaves the set. Uh, it's always in that one room. Maybe a really long filming day with him. And they let him go and then, then go do everything else. Uh, yeah, I think you're probably right on that. Boy. <laughs> this movie. I dug it. I, I really I enjoyed it. it. I'm glad I found it. But yeah, it's it's an acquired taste. Is that what this is? An acquired taste? I think it's an acquired <laughs> taste. I think you, you got you to gotta accept it for what it is. Fair enough. It's a trip, though. It's a lot of fun. I'm really glad that we talked about it. And, it, you know, it's been too long since I've had you on the show. And I know I always say that to everybody. And I mean it every single time. This was fun for me. I'm glad that we were able to do it here. And, you know, just to kind of catch up with you, too, because there hasn't been any events or anything for us to actually connect in person. See, I see the end of that tunnel. I, I, I can start seeing some, some limited stuff coming back. 
Yeah, I am really excited about that. Very excited about that. So, what else is new with you, man? What else is going on with the podcast? You guys, at least DB just celebrated like a, a milestone in podcasting, yeah, didn't so, he? So he's he's been doing it like forever, and he I think produced his thousandth show. We're working things, and and you probably see too. The numbers are changing as people start listening to stuff, going back to work. So we're gonna we're gonna be playing with some stuff. Oh, you guys hear my rooster? There you go. Yeah, I do actually live on a, a working farm. We're going to be doing some stuff, possibly not really changing a lot of the format, but I think he's going to bring back uh, his uh, Black Clock audio title. Um, oh, nice. Less, uh, which right now is pretty much we're doing it as the Oleander Book Club. But I think he's uh-huh. going to go back. Uh, we're going to do uh, a little bit of format change, maybe more like a radio show. Uh, as opposed to two guys talking on the radio. But uh, we're, we're working things as we try to work out with the demographics. Well, you got to start catering more to that Polish audience. Since you yes, so we do. In Poland, you know? Yeah, the Poles and the Danes. Okay, so you're going to want to go to pgttcm.com to catch up with David and DB to see what's going on with Radio Free Oleander, what's going on with People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos, with Black Clock Audio, all of that. You're going to want to go there. Now, check this out. Just a couple of days ago, Chris McMillan from the Shadow Over Portland, you all know him if you've been listening to Monster Kid Radio for a while. He's been here from the very beginning. He just did an appearance over there. So go check them out over at pgttcm.com. Now, David kind of alluded to this a little bit. And if you are friends with David and or DB on Facebook, you know they've been making a few changes to how they're doing their podcast. They're kind of reverting back to a previous format, but still keeping all the same amazing content. So some of the information that David may have given us at the very beginning of our conversation may be more about some of the previous episodes, but the bottom line is go check them out and let them know that you heard about them here on MKR. David, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Do you know that sound? It's a macabre grinding machine that turns bones and flesh into screaming savage blood death in the corpse grinders. What kind of demented soul profits from the flesh of the dead and destroys the living who get in its way? The corpse grinders, the most chilling, most terrifying motion picture you have ever seen. The corpse grinders in blood-curdling color. Ladies and gentlemen, here is an important message from Jack H. Harris. Producer of 4D Man. Imagine a check for $1 million being made out to you. In my new film, you will see 4D Man perform feats never seen on the screen before. And if you, any one of you listening to me, can actually perform in real life the feats ascribed to 4D Man, $1 million in cash will be yours. Your admission ticket to see 4D Man in widescreen and color may be worth $1 million. 4D Man is the most amazing motion picture ever made. The story of one man who solved the mystery of the fourth dimension. Even in this century of wonders, when science holds nothing to be impossible, you'll gasp in awe at the feats of the 4D Man. In color to thrill you as never before. 4D Man. There's been one great disaster after another. First came the theme, then the birds. There was the day the earth stood still, and the day the earth caught fire. If it didn't come from another world, it came from beneath the sea. But now comes the greatest disaster film of them all, 
The attack of the killer tomatoes. Can nothing stop this tomato onslaught? Yes, disaster fans, killer tomatoes. And the more you try to stop them, the messier things get. <laughs> the attack of the killer tomatoes. With a cast of 3,642. The most terrifying movie ever, says Better Homes and Gardens. See! Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. The first disaster film that's truly a disaster. Rated PG. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading the show. If you are on Facebook, please consider sharing the post about the podcast. If you're on Twitter, please consider retweeting the tweets and just letting people know about how they can listen to your favorite Monster Kid podcast. At least I hope it's your favorite. You know what? Even if it's not your favorite, just let people know about what we do here because the more, the merrier. We're also on Discord. We have a Reddit. We're all over the place. Just look up Monster Kid Radio and you're going to find us. You know where I can get guarantee you're going to find us though monsterkidradio.net this is where you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about here on the show you're going to find amazon affiliate links to pick up the movies that we talk about here on the show and i highly recommend that keynote lorber blu-ray of the astro zombies link in the show notes and if you use that amazon affiliate link you're helping out monster kid radio by taking a few pennies out of jeff bezos's pocket and putting it into the coffers at monster kid radio which certainly helps us out quite a bit especially since the monsters in the machine are now talking about how they want to raise i'm not making a bit out of this this is legit the place that i use to generate that text to speech now is starting to charge so yeah if we want to keep that going we need to put a few pennies uh into the monster kid radio uh hopper i guess or well i don't know Anyway, I get uncomfortable asking for money, asking for support, but I want you to know that I really appreciate all of your support here on the show. Also, a huge shout out to Ray and Liz Jelinek of the show. They haven't been on the show in forever. I don't think Liz has actually ever been on the show now that I think about it, but Ray has. He was there at the very, very beginning of starting Monster Kid Radio as well. In fact, he was probably one of the very first people I recorded anything with, even before I actually launched the show because they were showing Creature from the Black Lagoon at a local drive-in, and I thought, you know what? Let's use that as like a, a soft launch of Monster Kid Radio, and then I use that recording later on down the line and ray you know he's been there from the beginning and when he saw that i posted on facebook that my current podcasting headphones was being held together by two tubes of crazy glue he and liz looked at the monster kid radio amazon wish list and ordered me a new copy of headphones so big thanks to them as well i couldn't do what i do the way that i do it without y'all helping me do what i do so thank you i really appreciate everybody's support let's talk about what's coming up next week on the show i don't know i was supposed to do a recording earlier today but i had some issues and some tech things happen and i actually left my guests hanging and i didn't get recording in so i'm going to be scrambling a little bit but there will be something coming up next week on the show i can promise you that stay tuned to monster kid radio on facebook because that's probably where i'm going to announce it first to find out what that's going to be 
What's coming up this weekend in the Monster Kid movie stream? We're getting our hitch on. We're doing some classic Alfred Hitchcock. Classic British Alfred Hitchcock happening at monsterkidmovie.club or twitch.movie slash monsterkidradio. This is where you're going to want to go if you want to join us while we're watching monster movies every Saturday. You know, Matt from Aboostcast, he goes there. There's a number of other people there. Kenny's usually there. Kenny did prepare another amazing segment about the Hitchcock film, so that's going to be coming up during that stream as well, so make sure you join us on Saturday. It Pre-show starts around 11 a.m. The movies start at noon. They go till at least 7 or 8 o'clock at night. This is all Pacific time, of course. So again, twitch.tv slash Monster Kid Radio, which is also the URL for our Tuesday show, which is a science fiction stream, or lately it's been a bunch of monster movie serials. So we're going to be doing some more serials coming up here on Tuesday, as well as a Star Trek episode discussion with myself and Jeff Polier. So come back for that on Tuesday. And then of course, Thursday is a new podcast with, well, TBD, to be decided content. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Danger on the Way. That is copyright 2020, Chairman of the Boards, which you can find on their album, Surfing the Apocalypse, Pick it up online at chairmanoftheboards.bandcamp.com. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.